Okay, let's begin Parshas Vayigash, Tavshin Pei Gimel, as we get into the uh, arguably the most emotional Parsha in the in the entire Torah, as Yosef Hatzadik uh, cannot hold back anymore. We'll get to that uh, in a couple of minutes, and he reveals himself to his brothers. The climax of of the story of Yosef and his brothers that we have been on the past couple of weeks, and at the beginning of the Parsha, Yehuda steps up. And says, I need to talk to you. Rashi quotes all the different pshatim about whether he's coming in a soft vein, in a harsh vein, many different pshatim that Rashi quotes. And he says, We told you already. We have an elderly father. We have an elderly father. The whole, um, you know, uh, telling. Uh, what exactly their family situation is. And finally, the Pasuk that we're going to focus on is the second Pasuk. We'll just focus on the beginning of his words. Do you have a father? Do you have a brother? Right? That's what Yehuda says that Yosef had asked them. Rav Salvechik tells a story. Tells a story that he remembers from his childhood when he was seven or eight years old. You have it there in source number one. He says, like all Jewish boys, he attended the cheder, the school, and he said it was a dreary winter day in January, cloudy and overcast, one of these uh, days that you just want to cuddle up, and there was no cuddling in those days. Um, it was Parshas Vayigash. Hanukkah had just finished. They were back in school. And a long, dark winter lay ahead for us Cheder boys. Even then, the children said after Hanukkah, how long do we have now? When's our next vacation? Right? It started then also. That day, we Cheder boys were in a depressed mood, lazy and listless. Amazing how the Rav remembers this, being seven or eight years old. And what happened? We chanted, he says, we had to rise when it was still dark, return home holding a lantern because nightfall was so early. We Cheder boys were in a depressed mood. We chanted mechanically the first verses of Ayigash in a dull monotone, the Chulu. And then he came to the second Pasuk. Hayesh lachem av o'ach. He'll focus on the first phrase for now. Do you have a father? All of a sudden, said something unusual happened. There are many stories that the Rav tells about this, this uh, Chabad Malamid of his. Our teacher, a Chabadnik, suddenly jumped to his feet and with a gleam in his eyes, motioned to the reader to stop. He addressed me. He called me Podrabin, meaning assistant to the rabbi, because he was the son of Ramosha Soloveitchik, the rabbi of the, of the town, I think in Chaslavich. And he said, do you know what that means? He said, what kind of question did Yosef ask his brothers? Of course he had a father. Everybody has a father. This is not similar to the question that he asked earlier, is your father still alive? The only person who had no father was Adam. But everyone else born into the world has a father. What kind of question was it? I tried to offer an answer. He maybe just wanted to know whether his father was alive. But if so, our teacher thundered back. He should have phrased the question differently. Is your father still alive? It was useless to argue with him. He wanted to say his point. He began to speak rhetorically, as if some mysterious guest had just entered the cold room. Joseph, Yosef, he said, wanted to know whether his brothers were still attached to their roots and origins. 
Do you have a father? Are you rooted in your father? Are you connected to your father? Do you look at him the way branches or blossoms look at their roots? Do you look at your father as the foundation of your existence? Do you see him as your provider, your sustainer? Or are you rootless shepherds wandering from place to place who forget their origin? The Rav said this over from the Malamid. Our teacher suddenly stopped, addressing his invisible guest, and turned his focus directly to us. He said, do you think your old father is capable of connecting to you, of teaching you something? Do you believe in Mesorah? Hayesh lachem av. That is... That was his question. The teacher turns, he quotes, he turns to the town's prodigy, right? Isaac, what do you think, who do you think knows more? Do you know more because you're so well-versed in Talmud? Or does your father, Yaakov the blacksmith, know more even though he could barely read Hebrew? Well, we recognize our father, biological and capital F, right? That will lead us to recognize our father in heaven. Said the Rav, I will never forget that encounter on that cold, dreary morning in Russia when Hanukkah already ended and we're looking at the cold winter, Hayesh Lachem Av. My Malamid taught me that is, um, are you connected to your father? The Rav then added and said, maybe we could have the same, a similar, deeper meaning to the next phrase. Hayesh Lachem Av, O Ach, right, or brother. Brother, which brother were they talking about? When Yosef asked them, do you have a brother? They, he means the baby. right? When he asked them, do you have a brother? He was talking about Benjamin. Right? One could use a similar approach to Yosef's second question. Does your awareness of time stop at the present moment? Or do you consider future generations? Right? Do you focus on the younger? Do you focus on the children? Do you focus on the future? Meaning, not just do you have a father, do you have a past? But do you have a younger sibling? Do you have a future? Do you recognize that a Jew lives in all three time zones? Past, present, and future. Right? Our questions that we need to answer are me'ayin basa, past, ula'anatoleich, present, future. Right? And they answer, we have a father and we have a brother. We live in the past. We live in the future but we do what we can in the present. And that's what Rav Salvechik says, Yosef was asking them, and we have to ask ourselves. We have to be rooted in our past and connected towards our future, past, present, and future, as we've noted. I think uh, we mentioned uh, Sukkot time. The Shem has the has the thought, based on the Medrash, that says that each of the, the, the Dal and Minim are connected to another part of our body. Right, the esrog is the heart, and the lulav is the spine, and the aravos are the lips, and the hadassim are the eyes. Three out of four exactly parallel. Right, the lulav is one spine and one lulav, and there's one esrog and there's one heart, and there are two aravos and there are two lips, but there are three hadassim and only two eyes. Where's the third eye? So the Shemanatov says because a Jew has three eyes an eye towards the past, building on where they came from, focusing, using every moment in the present, and planning towards the future. Those are the three eyes. And that's what Hayesh Lechem Av O'ach. Hayesh Lechem Av O'ach. A Jew always plans towards the future. We, a number of years ago, 
number of years ago, we did a, the Arab Yaakov Kamenetsky on the Parsha that says that Yaakov Avinu, on the way down to Mitzrayim, he stopped in Beersheva. Why did he stop in Beersheva for? So he had a vision of, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Medrash tells us, why did he stop in Beersheva? Because Avram Avinu, years earlier, had planted Arazim, had planted huge cedar trees there because he foresaw that there's going to be a Mishkan that Bnei Yisrael are going to need lumber for. And Yaakov Avinu, on the way down to Mitzrayim, stops in Beersheva to cut down those trees, to bring him to Mitzrayim so in 250 years from then, they can have a Mishkan and have Krushim. Grandparents planning and doing their hishtablis so that their grandchildren can have it all and to have it ready. Planning towards the future. Ayesh lachem av oach, right? The past and the future. And maybe just one final thought and then we'll get to the next. One of my favorite lines from the Gemara in Tainus, Chonia Ma'agel. Chonia Ma'agel, not the story about the circle and the rain, but the other story where he says, the Pasuk says in Shir Amalos, Hayinu Kachomen, we were like dreamers. And Choni asked to himself, could you really sleep for 70 years? Shiva Sion, Hayinu Kachomen? So Kodesh Baruch helped him out and made him sleep for 70 years. But before he went to sleep, the Gemara tells us he was walking on the road and he saw somebody planting a carob tree. And he says to them, how old are you? He was a new, not a young man. He was an older man. He says, how long till these carob trees bear fruit? He says, 70 years. And Choni says to him, you think you're going to live so long? And he says, no. So he said, why are you planting? So this anonymous man in Mesechah's Tainus answers one of the most beautiful lines. I was born into a world with carob trees, all ripe. My grandparents planted for me. I'm planting for my grandchildren. And then he falls asleep and he wakes up and so he's picking from it and he realizes that's the grandson. But that's the way that we live the time awareness of a Jew, past, present, and future. Okay. Two thoughts about the Yosef story as we come to the climax in the Parsha. One, a human side of, a human perspective of the story, and one more metaphysical. So first we have from Rabbi Lamb in Drasha Ladoros. The first two sources happen to be in English tonight. Sometimes they're interspersed. And then we'll have a Shemi Shmuel, a more metaphysical appreciation. Rabbi Lamb, towards the bottom in source number two, there were three lines that didn't fit, so sorry I made them a little, you know, sideways. But uh, in Drasha Ladoros, Rabbi Lamb notes that in the Parsha, if we read it in a cursory way, everything came to plan just as Yosef had planned. Yosef had this whole idea of not revealing himself to his brothers and he's going to get away to get Binyamin down and he's going to get them all to bow down to him and he's going to get his dreams to be fulfilled. Perfect plan. Right? The drama of Yosef and his brothers is a source of endless fascination. Yosef's actions towards his brothers are incomprehensible. To that very end, right, they are, everybody's perplexed, v'chulu. Then suddenly all becomes clear. Joseph's revelation of his identity is also the revelation of a master plan, conceived by a mastermind, a marvelous and beautifully consistent course of action. V'chulu. Talks about the hatred. Turn the page. Turn the page to source number three. Rabbi Lamb writes on top. How beautifully everything falls into place and pattern. How symmetrical. How apropos, I'm on line four. And how aptly does all this mesh with Yosef's earlier plan, which came to the fore in the two great dreams. V'chulu. Amazing. 
But Rabbi Lamb points out there, there are numerous Ma'amare Chazal that pick up on some cracks in the armor of Yosef's plan. And maybe it wasn't perfect. Yosef was wise and his heart was in the right place, but something was amiss. Perhaps one might say that he was just a bit too clever. The plan too smooth, the operation too consistent. Right, what do we have in this week's parsha? He puts Binyamin next to him and he gives him extra. What's he giving him extra? You still trying to test the brothers? You still trying to see if your father gave you a son as possum and they were jealous? You want to see? Did he not take too much of a chance in arousing those old and latent jealousies? And then when he arrested Shimon before their very eyes, was that now too cruel, though perhaps necessary? And when, they, when he demanded that he surrender Binyamin, causing them so much grief, and what they do? Karu Bigdayim, the end of last week's parsha. They tore their clothing. Was that appropriate? Right? Chazal tell us that his descendants were punished for that. It is true that this act on his part was one aspect of a consistent plan, but it was harsh. He might have yielded to human emotions and he might have somehow softened the blow. The rabbis tell us that Yosef was repaid generations later for this act of agony that he caused his brothers. His descendant Yoshua was punished by the battle of Ai, which was lost. And finally, Chazal pick up on the fact, bottom of the column, Yosef no less than ten times heard the phrase Avdecha, describing his father. Ten times he permitted them to refer to his own father as his servant. It is true that this was part of the consistent fulfillment of the dream, trying to get the son Yaakov to also bow down to Yosef. But the Gemara in Sota, the rabbis were terribly upset with Yosef for allowing this piece of disrespect. Ten times over again. And they declare Yosef lost ten years of his own life. He lived to 110. Which he could have been permitted to live out had he not counted into this discourtesy to his own father. What's the message of this whole putting all of these together? Yosef had the plan. But these are cracks in the plan. Says Rabbi Lamb, putting it all together. We should have plans in life. We should have dreams. But we should never let those dreams and plans overtake the details and the human side of the part of that plan. And if we have to be a little flexible and have to be a little change of plans a little bit, then we have to, so be it. Never should the framework be so massive that you have to cut down the picture of life to fit it into the frame. Never should consistency be so rigid that you become callous to the cause of compassion. Right? We're consistent with our plan. Rabbi Lamb says, you know, sometimes we have to loosen up a little bit. First of all, it makes one inhuman. If I believe in the plan above all else, then I'll follow it to the bitter end, even if I steamroll over people and feelings. Yosef, it was great, but did you have to do exactly that? A little bit, a little bit softer, the Chazal are are reflecting. They don't say Yosef should have identified himself right away. But some of the details, some of the details they pick up on. Hearing the word avdecha. Second, he says, it's unscientific, too much trust in reason, out of concern for a consistent rational pattern. But look at the most important point, I think, that he mentions in the, towards the end. 
Look at the last source in source number four. Third, over-consistency is religiously sinful. If I have a plan and I try not to make any changes in the plan, it is a sign of a lack of humility before God. It assumes that humans have complete control over the future. We can avoid surprise and novelty and contingency by exercising our own wisdom and trueness. Years ago, if you remember, I think this is the first thought in the Shalom Rav, in the first volume in Bracious. We quote it from Rabbi Reisman, who says, life is about plan B. Life is about, you know, from the beginning of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a plan, right? And Adam's going to live forever, and he didn't live forever. And the trees were supposed to produce fruit that tastes like the fruit, didn't work out. There was supposed to be Shnei Ma'oros HaGadolim, and then there's Mara Gadol Marakatan. Nothing worked out. Or maybe it's, it's in the Bria that, that there's plan B, and we have to be flexible in terms of that, and that's what Rabbi Lamb says in terms of the human side of understanding uh, Yosef. Does everybody uh, mute? If somebody's on, uh, not on mute, please make sure to mute yourself, please. Thank you. But that's uh, from the human side of things. But now there's also of a metaphysical approach that the Shemi Shmuel teaches us. Right, the Shemi Shmuel notes, beginning of Parak Memhei, the Pasuk tells us, Yosef couldn't hold back anymore. And he called everybody, everybody go out, and nobody was there when he identified himself. That Pasuk is mashma. He couldn't hold back. It sounds like he would have held it in a little more had he been able to. But he couldn't. He couldn't anymore. Once he hears Yehuda, and once he hears his father would die if he takes Binyamin. So, why would he not have wanted to continue more? I mean, why would he have wanted to continue more? Wasn't it enough, as we just described? Why, below Yachol why should he have been mitapek more? Says the Shemi Shmuel, the Sachachavar, in source number four. Source number five, on the right side. Mashma, he wouldn't have identified himself. Why? So maybe, maybe he would have wanted to hold it in just until everybody else left by themselves instead of asking everybody to have to leave the room. Okay. Or maybe he would have held it in but he thought his life was in danger. Okay. Venera says the Shemi Shmuel. There's something deeper going on here. The Pasuk tell us, and in Daniel, we don't exactly know what they mean, but the way that most understand them is that there's going to be Kibbutz Goliath, the Jews are going to come back. And after that, there's going to be a Mechemes Gogu Magog, there'll be some type of major war. And Mashiach Ben Yosef, and Mashiach Ben Yosef, one of the two Mashiachs is going to be killed. If that's true, ask the Shemi Shmuel, there's going to be Kibbutz Goliath and then more war and more pain? Why? Why can't we be finished with everything before Kibbutz Goliath? Wouldn't that make more sense? Right, so many tsaras we've had, so many difficulties and challenges. So why would why would we need more? Why would 
Why would we have to go through another war? Venera, says the Shemishmuel, it's for our benefit. Because if we wouldn't go back to Kibbutz Goliath and first went through Gogol Magog, it's kind of like if we would have stayed in Mitzrayim another second, we wouldn't have made it. Or Yaakov Kamenetsky writes in another place, if we wouldn't have Bayesheni, right, Bayesheni they knew it wasn't going to be eternal. It was a stopgap measure to give us chizuk for the next 2,000 years. Because Hashem knew that if we went straight from Bayes Rishon all the way into the long Gaulus, we wouldn't make it. So says the Shem Yishmuel, V'nira Shezeu L'Tobas Yisrael, Shebe'im Haya Hamir Gatachlis, Be'odam, Be'golus, Be'eretz Ayveim, If it just was one continuum, V'achoshech Mechaseh Aretz, Lo Haya Be'afsharaz Lispo, We wouldn't have been able to make it out. Step number one is, Be'emos HaGeula, There's going to be Kibbutz Golis, And then Gogol Magog, Why? Because if it was straight, we wouldn't have been able to survive. Step one. Step two. There's a Mesorah, there's a Kabbalah that we have. Where the source of this Kabbalah is, is unclear. But many Achronim quote it. And the Shemi Shmuel wrote this before the Shoah. Before the largest, greatest calamity, quantitatively, qualitatively, in human history. Right, so this Mesorah was written before the Holocaust. Kal Vachomer. Now. What's the Mesorah? Shemeata niftarnu mi milchemes gogumagog. Milchemes gogumagog was supposed to be a short war of Tsaris. But there's another way to potter ourselves, so to speak. We were Yotze through all the extended Tsaris that we've had throughout history. We were Yotze gogumagog. That's the Mesorah that we have. Once this kibbutz Goliath, that's it. It's over. Shekemo, similar. We're all familiar with this idea. The fact that it was harsher in a short amount of time, 210 substituted for 400. It was going to be 400, but because it was so hard, 210 substituted for the past Nevuah, so too this Gullus could substitute for the future Nevuah. Right, Mitzrayim was shortened, Gogu Magog was taken out because of what we've gone through. The rose Rabos Yisrael. The rose that was supposed to happen upon us, it won't happen. And in this way, if this is true, then we're very happy to, to finish the Gullus. There won't be anything in the future. And don't wonder about, oh, doesn't it talk about all about Gogu Magog? It spoke all about 400 years in the Brisbane of Asarim also. But based on quality, HaKadosh Baruch Hu worked it out. Quality of the pain of the Tsaris could substitute. That's step two. Step one, remember what's going to be in the future. Kibbutz Galios, Gogumagog. That's going to be in the future. But why? Because it's all for our good. Because if we had it all straight now, then we wouldn't be able to survive. Number two, we have a Misora that we've been through it all. And all the Tsaris that we've had in this time period, it substitutes. Number three, Maisa Avo Simon Labanim. 
Right, as we finish up Sefer Bracious, we've got to have one more thought related to that concept. Maisa Avos Yitzim Labanim, or as the Ramban says, Yitzira Labanim. When Yosef and his brothers came together, that was the Maisa Avos of Kibbutz Galias, of Jews after being separated from each other, based on Al-Ayat Sinas Chinam. For so many years, when they come together, that is the Semel of Kibbutz Galios. And Yosef was trying to push it as much as possible. Why? Because as difficult as it was for his brothers and for him not to be able to connect and unify with each other, the more they get done with now, once the Kibbutz Goliath happens, there's nothing afterwards. And that's why Yosef wanted to hold it in more. Because the more he could have now... The pain, the suffering now will make it so that when the Geula happens, the Kibbutz Goliath happens, the unification happens, there's no Tsaras, there's less Tsaras afterwards. Lefizi Yishlomar, line 41. We still have to pay for the Chet. As we've spoken. Skip down. He wanted to give them more tsar a little bit until it's totally, the sin is totally cleansed. And then when they come together, there's no more tsaris. That's why he wanted to hold out more. He couldn't. He had to re- reveal himself. But we know from the earlier step that we mentioned, we were Yotze anyway. Yotze tried to hold it more. Okay, he couldn't hold it, but don't worry about it, Yosef. We were already Yotze as well. Right, the last couple of lines of the Shemi Shmuel. Again, writing before World War II. We're saved anyway. Through the Kabbalah that we have from our great, from our great Mesot. Okay, so those are major thoughts that we start off tonight with. Or the first half of tonight's year, Yeshlochem Avoach, connecting to the past, the present, the human side of things, Rabbi Lamb, and the metaphysical from the Shemi Shmuel. So Yosef tells them, and Yosef sends them a message, go back to Yaakov, and they go back to Yaakov, and what do they say? Yosef is the Moshel. Yosef is the ruler in Mitzrayim. He's the one that we've been talking to. What's Yaakov's reaction? Yaakov doesn't believe it. His heart skips a beat. It does not say anything about his emotion. He's just in shock. Then they tell him, But then they, first they, he just, they just say, he's the ruler. Now they say what Yosef said. And how he spoke to them. Vayaris Hagalos, and then those famous Hagalos, the wagons, Asher Shalach Yosef Lasis, Oso, then Vadachi Ruach Yaakov Aviem, then his spirit is revived. His spirit is not revived at the beginning. Is that only because of shock? Is that only because he couldn't believe it and it took time to absorb? Or is there something different and something more? If you look in the safe of Akrasal Shabbos Oneg, this is in the third, the third volume. I didn't write which volume, it's Chela Gimel. He quotes, Think about this. Imagine. One of the Gdoliadar whose son has been missing for years. Whose son has been missing for years. He has no idea where he is. And finally, it's Galgelba Olamat Shehigia La'iran. 
This was written a couple years ago. And he finds out that he's in Iran. Shom Yashem He was there in jail for years. And then he became, he rose up in the Iranian government. Now he's telling, sends to his father, I am second in command in Iran. Can't wait to have you here. The Shlichem come, what's going to be the reaction? What's supposed to be the Gadaladar's reaction? Is he going to be happy? He's in Iran? Eretz Mitzrayim hu makar hatuma v'hakishav ba'olam this is Ervas Haaretz. They say, Yaakov, Yosef is still alive. So what's his first reaction? He's just in shock. He's not yet happy. Okay, he's alive, but is he, is he Jewish? Does he have the values that I taught him? Because parents aren't only interested in the physical qualities, but the spiritual he finds out that he's in a foreign country that stands for Tuma and Erva, that's not going to make him so proud. It'll make him, obviously, my loved one. But only later, after the second conversation, because what does the Pazik say? That Yosef told, spoke to his brothers, and then the brothers tell Yosef everything that Yosef said. Go, go tell Yaakov, Ko Amar Bincha Yosef, Samani Elokim, La Adon Lachal Mitzrayim. Yaakov hears that word. HaKadosh Baruch Hu put me in charge here. Shem Shamayim Shagur Al Shano Shal Yosef. Omishem Kach Umadgish, Shohel Elokim Uzesha Samu Shalit Al Eretz Mitzrayim. Yosef says that, Yaakov hears that, Fatachi Ruach Yaakov Avihim. Because he realizes he might be physically in Mitzrayim. And he sees the Agolas and Egla Rufa and the Torah. And now he's calmed down. Now his simcha is true simcha. Because simcha for a parent, for a grandparent, love is unconditional. But ultimate simcha is when we, when a parent feels that a child is fulfilling their potential as an Obed Hashem. And that's what Yaakov Avinu was nervous about. And that's what he now felt. Good, but before Yaakov is ready to come down, he gets everything ready, he sends Yehuda. There's Yehuda, Shalak Lafanav el Yosef, Lahoros Lafanav Goshna. Yehuda is sent to Goshen, to Goshen. So Yehuda goes in front of them all. They go back, and Yehuda goes ahead of them. Pshata Pasaku. And of course, Rashi quotes the, uh, the Medrash. To set up a school, to set up a yeshiva. Who went with Yehuda? Mestami wasn't the only one. What, he went to just buy the building? Maybe, but to set up the yeshiva, maybe he took some of his boys. Pshara Pasuk, Shehuda Nishlach Lifne Yaakov Kadei Lilmoda Zaderech, Kach Efshar Yilahavi Azavi Bevirus Lamitzrayim, Chazal Dorshim. Yaakov ino amar lihuda ani doeg lechinuch hanoar ulihimashech hachdaras limudator laam Yisrael. I know I'm in charge of the education here in Eretz Canaan, but in Mitzrayim I don't know what's going to be. Halo anu yordim laeretz shakula tuma. Fine, I just heard that that Yosef is safe, but what about the rest of my family? Lachain shalach es Yehuda lavtoach yeshivas ubatei opana. Gam shagam b'mit. Who are we reading? We're reading the Dibri Elio, Rav Mordechai, Rav Mordechai Elio. I need it to be a hemshech. 
to what I've instilled in all of my children and grandchildren. Right? At the end, it didn't last, but it la- lasted for a certain amount of time. But ask the Reb Mordechelio, line 10, Why send Yehuda? He was the Gibor. Yisachar were the Tamidich Chachamim. Later on, Levi were the leaders. Yehuda was Gvura. So Rachel Yo says, you need Gvura also to start a yeshiva. Maybe to run the yeshiva, the daily shear, you need a rush yeshiva. But to push things through, to get all the permits, right? To, uh, to get everything, uh, that has to be done. So that's, that Gvura is in place. Rabbi Chalio also continues on the next page and says, the crucial element that Yaakov Avinu also realized is the yeshiva wasn't only yeshiva, it was, it was surrounded probably by the community. A neighborhood is chosen not based on, says the Rabbi Mordechai Elio, not just based on, skip down and then we'll go back. Don't just focus on how comfortable the apartment is and how big the house is and the yard, v'chulu. The most important thing is the neighborhood. The most important thing is the chevra and what the surroundings are going to be like for my family. And Yaakov knew that and he sends Yehuda because Yehuda is the political head also. He's someone who could set up a neighborhood. He's someone who could worry and, be, and, and figure out exactly how to get things done to set up the sviva that Yaakov wanted to be in. And he quotes the Rambam, right? The Rambam in Hilchas Deos, where the Rambam says, it's only natural. Rambam on line four. Derech biryaso shal adam. Lios nimshach bidei osav ubemasav. Acharev It's natural for a person to be pulled after the opinions and the actions of my friends and of my neighbors. It's very hard to buck the trend. It's very hard to not do what everybody else is doing. That's just, it's possible, but it's challenging. We have to, we have to be next to the righteous. Right, who we are around plays such a key role. And therefore, says Rav Mordechai Elio, Yaakov Avinu knew that. He's going to Mitzrayim. He just heard that Yosef was safe. But he's nervous about the rest of his family. And therefore he sends Yehuda to go down and make sure things are taken care of, make sure things are set so that his family could come down and be safe. Remember the importance of Chavra, we mentioned this in the past from Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. Eov, the story of Eov, right? The Satan takes everything. The Satan says, Hashem, you know, you think he's so great? Hashem says, just don't touch him. Just don't touch him. So he takes his money and he takes his children. Machlokas, whether he got his children back in the end, right? Maybe he just took them away. Everything. But what's the whole Sefer? Eov has his friends. Why isn't the whole Sefer of Eov just one man philosophizing? About Sadek Varalo and Russia Vatovlo. No, it's a conversation. Right? According to many, 
different opinions in Mesechah's Baba Basra, when Eof took place according to one opinion and never took place. It's all a made-up story. A made-up story may be written by Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? It's a question about when exactly it, it, uh, it took place. But, so why didn't Eov lose his friends? Right? Why did he lose his friends? If the Sultan took away everything else, it's explains of Chayin because a person needs, needs, needs other people to survive, to function. And we're connected with them. A man is a social being. We need to express. It's not natural for a person to be a loner, to not express. There's a fascinating Ha'ara by the Kuntrat HaSveikos in the Hadama, from the great Achronim. He writes, if somebody was had a vision of an angel and the angel came to him and said, you know what, I'm going to take you up to the heavens, you could see everything in the heavens. I'm going to take you to all of the levels, the Rakia and the Zvul and all the different levels. You could see everything and you can know MS. There's just one condition. When you get back here to earth, you cannot tell a soul anything that you heard. Says the Kuntras Asvekos, I would say I don't want to go because that's not humanly possible. To be able to, to, to just be a loner, that's not natural. That's not healthy. Because we're influenced, and we're mushpah, and we're mashpia, and we're part of the society in which we live. And that's what Morchelio says, that's why Yaakov needed Yehuda to go set up the community. Because he needed him to create that sviva so it could be safe for the rest of Kalah Yisrael. Okay. So Yaakov finally comes down, and... He meets Paro. He meets Paro. What happens? First he meets the brothers, and then Pasik Zion, Memvav Zion, Yosef al Yaakov Paro. The third of the Avos, the Bechir Ha'avos. This Paro was Zochet to see with his own human eyes. Vayevarech Yaakov is Paro. Yaakov gives him a bracha. Vayomer Paro el Yaakov. Kama This is, sometimes people ask a trivia question. How many brachos are in Sefer Bracious? So you go through all the brachos that Avraham and, and Yitzchak. So this one is the forgotten one. Yaakov gives a bracha to Paro. Vayivarech Yaakov is Paro. Vayomer Paro el Yaakov. Paro says to Yaakov, Kama yemeshrechayecha. How old are you? That's a pretty strange question. When you meet the God of Ador, when you meet a very righteous Jew, how old are you? That's the first question that Paro asks. And Yaakov gives the answer, as we know. Chazal are not so happy perfectly with this answer. I've had a tough life. I've had a tough life. And then again, Vayavarach Yaakov is Paro. Paro. What was the bracha? We don't know exactly. There's a story that's told in a number of sources. I gave it to you here from the Kol Yechiel, but it's mentioned in others. When the Shagas Aryeh came to Metz, Metz was where he was known as the Rav of Metz. But he came to Metz when he was 70. And that's when he tried out for the job. When he was 70 years old. And they gave him a bracha, but it's a little tricky if, you know, you're 70. You know, we'd love for you to live to 120, but we want, we want a Rav that's going to... You know, that's going to be there. So the Shagasari says, you know, it says in Parshas Vayigash, he quotes this conversation between Paro and Yaakov. Why did Paro ask that? You know why Paro asked that? Because what happened when Yaakov Avinu came down to Mitzrayim? The famine stopped. 
Paro didn't want the famine to come back. The famine stopped because Yaakov Avinu brought bracha. I really hope you're here for a long time. Paro was saying to Yaakov, how old are you? How old are you? Right? Line 13. Maybe Yaakov is not going to last too much longer here and the bracha is going to stop. That's why he wanted to know how old he was. So Yaakov understood why he was asking that. He answered in wisdom, I'm not so old. I've just had a tough life. I just look old. My father lived to 180. 180. What am I? I'm a whippersnapper. You know, let's see, 130. So it's, uh, says the Shagasari, Gamani. I might look like an old 70, but I've been through a lot. Near Dafayisi, there are stories. No Divagola, I was exiled. Kavsalai Zikna Yosemi died. But I promise you, only the Shagazari can say something like this. Kilamitsar Odasrim Shanai Shavim Yerzashem Akisi Arabanus, I'll be here for at least 20 years. And guess what? He was there for 20 years. Maybe he should have given himself a bigger bracha than that. But he was there. Vafta Chasonis Kaima, Vuniftar Bimetz, Biyoso, Kiben, Tishim Shana. So the Shagazari used these words. Use these words. If you look in the footnote there of the Kol Yechiel, he quotes that the Shagasari, wherever he went, he did what he thought was right. There are a lot of harif stories. He wrote what he thought was right. He, he did what he thought was right. So there was one time, there was a minog that he was very upset about. There was a minog in Metz when he came there that on Shavuos morning, Agdomos, which is the piyut that we say before laning on Shavuos morning, their minog was to have the ole, the kohen, first say the bracha, shalafaneha, asher bachar banu, then akdamas, as if akdamas is part of the Torah. We do akdamas before, when the kohen is called up, but, see, he was very upset about this. And he said, you gotta change it. Venogim hayu bemetz, that, when the, shebubo rav chadash lachem, right, so he was upset, so he had, he had tremendous agbas nefesh from this. He's trying to change the minhagim, this rabbi is trying to have a new minog and they brought him the pinkus. Every town in Europe had a pinkus, like the notebook with all the rules and regulations and old minhagim. So when they, when they, uh, he got the pinkus, the minog was, but every rav, you know, you know, writes a, a, some new rule in the pinkus to, for the future. Can't change anything about the past. So he wrote in the pinkus, you know, what he thought would be a new rule and they look at it then, it's the Aseris Adibros. And they ask him, Rebbe, why do you write the Aseris Debris and the Pincus? In the, in the notebook, he says, well, I see you take the Pincus very, very seriously. I see you would never change an iota from that. So I want to make sure that you keep the Aseris Debris. All right, it's kind of like if people say, if it, said lo, it didn't say lo signal with the Aseris Debris, it just said, yesh lahachmir, baal nefesh yachmir, about stealing, you know, then we'd all be a baal nefesh. We have to try to do what we have to do and then, Add on the, uh, the chumras. But that's the Shagasarye. He quoted this passage. Okay, one final thought relating to the unbelievable Haftorah that we have in Parshas Vayigash. We know the Haftorah is from Yechezkel and it talks about the two sticks that come together. Right? One Yehuda and one Yosef. Vata ben Adam. Yechezkel is told, Kachacha eitz echad, v'ksova lav Yehuda. 
take a stick and write Yehuda on it. V'levnei Yisrael Chaveirav. V'lekach Eitz Echad. V'ksovah Lavli Yosef. V'chol Beis Yisrael Chaveirav. V'karav Osam Echad Alechad L'chol Eitz Echad. Bring them together. V'yolachadim B'yadech. And it'll be one. We know, and this is the symbol of Yehuda and Yosef coming together as Shvatim in the Parsha. And in the future, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David from Yehuda. That's the unity of the sticks coming coming together. Interesting, if you look in the Chayim Moshe, Rabbik, that Achtus amongst Kla Yisrael is symbolized by Yehuda and Yosef coming together. In our Parsha and in Yechezkel, meaning in the past and in the future. Hashalom shenasu ben Beis Hashpein Hashvatim, nasu adi Yehuda v'Yosef. Yehuda who's a shenigash l'dabra al Yosef v'zdvarov. And he had to come together. Right. So why dafka these two shvatim? What are these two shvatim? They're leaders. What do these two shvatim have for us? Also, he says, interestingly, in the Pasik, why is it when it says Yehuda and B'nai Yisrael, Yosef and Base Yisrael? Why does it say Yehuda and in the Pasik, the second Pasik in the Torah? Right, you write on it Yehuda and B'nai Yisrael, and write on it Yosef and Beis Yisrael. What's the difference between B'nai Yisrael and Beis Yisrael? Says the Chayim Moshe, Benira Levar on the left side. Amru Chazal, Chazal tell us, Shechadei lahashkin shalom beklai Yisrael. In order to have shalom, tzrichim ikodim lahashkin b'shalom bebate Yisrael. To have shalom in the nation, you have to have shalom in the personal houses. If you have Shalom amongst the families and the neighborhoods, then that could expand. How do you have shalom in a house? What are the ingredients to have shalom in a house? So says the Chayim Moshe, two ingredients. Two ingredients. V'yadua sheme'ikare hatanam sheishra ha'shalom b'vati Yisrael b'shnev dvarim b'ruchni yisu b'gashmias. I'd call it spiritual foundation and physical necessities. If either of those two are missing, it becomes challenging. If there isn't the spiritual foundation and there aren't the physical necessities of life, those either of those missing could cause anxiety, pressure, argument, and lack of shalom, bias. Number one is to live al Torah. To live al Torah. We can't fathom this statement, but it's in all the storybooks. We can't fathom. Rav Shlomo Zalman is walking behind the Aaron, behind the coffin of his wife at the Leviah. And he, people overhear him saying, right, the minig is to ask Mechila, right, from a, from, from a nifter nif, of terrace at, at, at the Leviah. But my wife and I never did anything that was not al Torah. Every single movement that we did in life was al Torah. So there's nothing for me to ask Mechila about. Rav Shlomo Zalman was not a Balgaiva. He wasn't saying this out of arrogance. He was saying this out of MS. Because at that point in a person's life or right after their life, it's only about truth. And if I don't, there's no forgiveness for me to ask. So that's where Shlomo Zam, we can't fathom that. But that's this number one. The Ashroas Hashchina is number one based on spiritual foundation. If we have a spiritual foundation, no machlokas. Number two, physical necessities. This is Shlomo Zaman didn't have too much of, but they managed. These are the two Yehuda and Yosef. Beis Yisrael in the house of Israel. Yehuda and Yosef. Yehuda 
symbolizes. Again, there are other Shvatim that symbolize this too. There's Binyamin and there's Yisachar. But these two compared. Let's start with Yosef. Yosef, who am Mashbir, who am Mefarnes. Yosef is known as the one who physically supports. That's Yosef. Yehuda, right? Yaakov sent Yehuda to start the yeshiva. Yehuda also, Merami Zantorah, Lo Yasser Shevim Yehuda, Umechogim Ben Raglov, Medulas HaTorah, Yosef Merami Zalparnasas Habayis. Those two, when those two come together, there's peace amongst Klal Yisrael. When their spiritual foundation and physical necessity is taken care of, that was the unity then, Yehuda and Yosef. That's why Yaakov Avinu sent Yehuda down first to be connected to Yosef, to build that foundation, and that's what's going to be in the future. Be'emosa Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. Both of those coming together. And he just ends off by saying, and what about the bias and the b'nei? Why is Yosef compared to Beis Yisrael and Yehuda b'nei Yisrael? Beiso zuishto. Bias in Chazal is a reference to a wife. The wife is the one that creates the environment in the home. Besides, generally, the delicious delicacies, but the right. Why does the why does the wife light candles? Right, because she creates the she creates the the physical environment in the house more than the father. And the father, again, there's overlap. You know, a, a husband should be in the kitchen too, but the father is the one that's re- foremost responsibility for the spirituality of the family. And that's Yehuda, and that's Bnei Bnei Yisrael, a reference to the men. Beis Yisrael, a reference to the women. But obviously, both of these major personalities, these towering figures came together then and they'll come together in the future. But it's all about achtos. It's all about uh, the different parts. We daven for the day. That that last Mishnah, the last Mishnah in Shas, right, the last Mishnah in Shas, that there's nothing greater than Shalom. Right? So that's what we daven for through the reading of the Haftorah through the laning and what we, you know, we still see the flickering lights of the Hanukkah candles, the light of trying to get us through the next, the darkest time of the year. But we know Kodesh Baruch Hu has a plan. Kodesh Baruch Hu is the one that's uh, in charge of history and destiny. And uh, we daven that. We've been Yotze already, that we have the Misora that was mentioned earlier, and we just have Kibbutz Galias and Binyan Beis HaMikdash. Okay, we'll stop